The Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Transparency being the number one virtue of the Crowley Show. Tomorrow on the show, I kind of want to get everyone. Get Dayon, get Katie Brown, get Sarah Sivian. Get them all. Get Dale, get Lysowski. Go full-on journalism more. Because frankly, the Deadspin article didn't do much for me in the way of journalism. In fact, it didn't do much for me at all. Again, Dayon has not been the friendliest to women. We played a clip earlier on in the show of an opportunity for him to be friendly to women, and he was not. But there's a lot of smoke, and there's not a lot of fire. There's not a lot of proof in this article that he did do the things that he was alleged to do. So all I can do is say that I think he's been a D-bag before. That's it. And you can make up your mind the rest of the way. More on that coming up in 17 minutes here on the Crowley Show as we talk with John Parado. To wrap up the show, my hottest take of the day will circle around the XFL because of course it will. And actually, the XFL in relation to the NFL. I think I've got an interesting take. In fact, I know I do. But first, people talk about Pittsburgh sports all the time and how great of a town Pittsburgh is. I think Pittsburgh's just like every other sports town. Maybe a little bit more passionate. Maybe because there's not all that much to do around here. It's a winter city. A cold city. But we do flock to winners. Last night I was at a bar for Randy Slack's going away party. A lot of big wigs there. Open tab, thanks to Randy Bauman, and Sally Wigan was there. Hell yes! So of course we went. But in the bar, the Duquesne game was on. I've never seen that in my life. Stan Saverin, you can catch him from noon until 2 on ESPN. Pittsburgh had Keith Danbron on. An interesting dude, an interesting way for him to have made his way to Duquesne. And it was an interesting conversation. Let's take a listen. We're joined now by the new head coach, uh, I guess second half of the season, but he's still the new head coach of the Duquesne Dukes, Keith Dambrot. Uh, coach, uh, I, I feel guilty. My timing is awful. Um, I have you on the day after a very difficult loss, so uh, being at the jinx that I am, I apologize right up front. <laughs> I had a laugh at first when you said, you, you know, those overtime games, you think that's funny how you should sit in my seat. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you shouldn't apologize. Look, this trajectory... Uh, we're not going to go straight up. Uh, we knew that it was going to take us some time. Uh, we're not going to have success every single night yet. We're just not at that point. So we just have to be able to take the good with the bad and keep battling. You, you know, Keith, it seems you're not only trying to develop this team, but you're trying to develop or, if you will, revive a program. Having said that, when you look at the fact that you were down 16 points, you were down 12, 20 to 8, and then you're down 16, and you fight back to actually take the lead and have a lead partially in overtime, uh, to the larger picture, do you take some solace in that, that you know your kids showed a lot of fight and grit? Well, I, uh, I have very high expectations, uh, but I also have to make sure that, I, that I'm patient. Um, and I use this as an example. Uh, these guys that we have right now, they've been terrific but they've never been in games that mattered. And when you're in games that matter, 
it takes its toll both mentally and physically. Uh, and so, you know, we, we weren't great yesterday in the two stretches, and I think some of it was mental fatigue. Uh, and so we have to teach these guys that, hey, when you win games, the games become more important. You have to be ready to play every single night. Just talking about last night's game in particular, um, that offense is unique. There really are no positions, but their big guy, Golden, did hurt you, uh, certainly in the first half. What adjustments did you have to make? And when you did, is that part and parcel where the kid who scored 28 then began to hurt you even more than Golden, the big kid inside? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, you know, obviously uh, when you play that Princeton style, it takes tremendous discipline. In the first eight minutes, we did a really poor job. You know, we just we just weren't on it, and we paid the price. They scored 20 points in the first eight minutes. And, and for us, we need to play into the low 60s to win. Uh, then over the next five or six minutes, we played really well. And then at the beginning of the second half, we stunk it up again. So, But the one thing that I think that is different with these guys is they're going to continue to fight. Uh, we came back from 16 down, took the lead, like you said, and, Look, we're getting every ounce of ability out of these guys, and our guys have, have been really coachable and really want to win. And it's been it's been fun coaching them and trying to make them better. Speaking of individuals, and I want to talk about the team. Um, where did Eric Williams come from? He uh, thirty he's at thirty four, I believe twenty four last night. Um, great outside shot. Where did he come from as a freshman? Well, we. Uh, uh, we have two Michigan guys on our staff, Charles Thomas and Carl Thomas twins. Uh, and we had, re- we had been recruiting in Michigan for years. Charles has done a terrific job up there. And he had recruited Eric a little bit when we were at Akron, even though we didn't have a lot of scholarships. And when we came here, obviously on March 30th, there's not a lot of guys out there. We had a bunch of scholarships to fill. We brought him in and he really didn't have any division one offers when we offered them. So it goes to show you that. There's still mistakes made out there because he's one of the best freshmen I've ever had. He's a terrific left-handed shot. Got a, you got a sweet stroke. Uh, Keith Dambrod, head coach of Duquesne, is our guest. Keith, looking at the overview, um, everybody around here is aware of the uh, long-ago pedigree of Duquesne basketball. Um, I was actually the, the color announcer the last time the Dukes uh, made the tournament, and I'm old now. Um, so I, I was a lot younger then. Norm Nixon was on that team. When you looked at this Duquesne job, how do you begin building or you were, uh, remodeling a program? You know, I, I'm glad you said what you what you said because uh, today I'm visiting with Bill Zoff, who also is one of the greatest players ever to play at Duquesne. And I think first and foremost, you have to understand the history, which I do. Uh, you know, I, I was. My dad played 50 to 54 with Cy Hugo Green and Dick Ricketts and Jim Tucker, consensus right. All Americans, number one draft picks. Uh, and then I know that Bill's off and the Jared Durham's and the Nelsons and Mickey Davis, uh, you know, just loads and loads of great players that played at Duquesne. So you have to understand the history in order to fix it, but you also need commitment from the very top of the school. And we've got that from the president and the board of trustees, and we have a terrific athletic director, Dave Harper. So in order for me to fix the program, I need everybody's support, and I need financial commitment as well. And uh, they've given us that. Uh, We live in a great city, the sixth-best job market in the country. Uh, I've been unbelievably impressed with the Pittsburgh people. And really, I'm just trying to build the program like the Pittsburgh people are, just tough 
hardworking, blue-collar people, and uh, I don't see why Duquesne shouldn't win, knowing what I know. Are you surprised um, that you have been as successful as you've been? I realize you're only halfway through the conference schedule and all that kind of stuff, but you certainly would qualify as perhaps the surprise team in the A-10. Are, are you ahead of where you thought you might be? Uh, I Again, I have high expectations, uh, but I was preparing myself for, you know, the worst uh, because, again, I've, I've won 13 years in a row at a high level, uh, and even before that, you know, in high school. So I'm not used to it. So I was trying to prepare myself to be patient and, and just teach the guys the behaviors that will allow them to be a championship-quality team in the future. I think sometimes when you build for the future in the proper way, it gives you short-term success. And I think, you know, just – Building the team on the defensive end and playing together and just keeping it simple has helped us win early. And we spent a lot of time individually with guys, trying to show them a lot of love and a lot of uh, time in the gym. And guys like Terrence Smith, uh, Renee Castro, Mike Lewis, they put a tremendous amount of time in the gym. And that's why they're playing so well. Keith, as you've gone along, do you get a sense of a growing belief uh, in the players' eyes, where you know you're new to them, they're new to you, uh, and you come in, and there's nothing, nothing succeeds like success, as they say. Do you sense that they are gaining a measure of belief? Yeah, I think they believe. I, I, I do think. Uh, I do think that it's it's a it's a small line, and you know you have to be careful of fragility and what happens when you get hit in the mouth. I liked what I saw last night when we got hit in the mouth. Now, let's say we go to Rhode Island and have an issue. Can we rally ourselves back or will the losing mentality return? You know how it is when, when you haven't won, uh, haven't been in the NCAA tournament for 40 years. You know, people start to start to self-fulfill. And so we just have to make sure that we just give constant effort, try to win the little battles every single night. And I believe when you win the little battles every single night, then the end results usually turn good. You know, you mentioned that when you – get involved when you win you get involved in tough games uh now all of a sudden every game you play uh the opponent realizes hey that's not duquesne what we've come to know duquesne as they're different do you sense that is another lesson that your players are going to have to learn and do you expect better from your opponents now because of what you've accomplished well i i know they all they they know we're not a pushover i mean uh uh when you come into our building, they know we're going to give it every effort we have. They know we're a pretty strong defensive team. They know we're pretty strong physically. We may not be the best offensive team in the world, but they know we're we're not going to lay over and uh, roll over and just let them win the game. So, when you play three overtime games in a row and you you know you beat Dayton at home, you beat George Washington at home as well, they know that hey, Duquesne is at least competitive. And so we don't have the bullseye on our back by any means, but by the same token. Uh, we've made progress, and that's all we want to do is make progress and then eventually let the Duquesne fans get what they really deserve and what they want, and that's a return to, you know, that NCAA tournament. You know, your job, Keith, of course, is to coach basketball and to make Duquesne a winner, but do you also feel responsible for revolving um, uh, reviving the Duquesne community? I, I had to watch the game on TV last night. Not a whole lot of people there. 
Um, do you feel like that's part of your responsibility? Not that you're going to go out there and hawk tickets, but to, you know, to send off a positive vibe to get, first of all, the students interested again. Every aspect of, of, of coaching basketball is my responsibility. As academics, as community involvement, that's putting people in the stands. Uh, that's that's student-like everything. Uh, so if there's no people in the stands, ultimately that's on me as well. And, you know, there's no... There's no secret formula. We have to win. We have to make it an exciting event. Uh, we have to be integrated into the school. We have to do our part and make sure that we're involved in other aspects of the school. And and uh, there's no substitute for winning, but there's also no substitute for being a good person as well. Last thing for you, Keith, and it's it's the obligatory question. I know you've been asked a thousand times, but it's your first uh, appearance with us on, on this show. Uh, people may or may not know that you coach LeBron James um, at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. Now, that he was a kid, and he just passed the 50,000-point uh, mark, really uh, a remarkable, uh, 30,000, excuse me, um, the, the seventh player to do so. What was he like as a as a teenager? Was he coachable? Um, do you do you stay in contact with him? First and foremost, you can ask me about LeBron James anytime you want. Okay. Uh, nobody <laughs> nobody has more respect for him than me. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for him. Uh, he's probably the easiest guy I've ever coached in my life. Although it it required tremendous responsibility because I was scared to death. I knew he was a first round draft pick. I knew that he, he had a lot of money coming his way as long as he kept things clean and honest. Uh, but he was great to coach. He was a great teammate. He made players around him better. He always made the right play. Uh, he scored 12 points in a game that really didn't matter just to get his teammates involved. And uh, Listen, he, he is what he is. He's a guy that just makes guys better. And they've had a tough time this season, but I wouldn't count them out yet. And do, is there any way that perhaps you can utilize your friendship or your relationship with him to benefit Duquesne in terms of recruiting and that sort of thing? Oh, it already has. Listen, we, we've gotten player after player at Duquesne and at Akron just because of the association with LeBron. We also have the shoe deal with just us and Ohio State has the LeBron James shoe deal. So equipment-wise, we're at top of the line. Uh, but just the association of having coached on uh, the different tweets that he's done about us and our program and the relationship allows you to get in the door with players. And everybody knows that I coach them and I have a relationship with them. So I guess they think that makes me a good coach. <laughs> well, as they say, whatever it takes. Chuck Noll once said that, and he was a pretty good coach too. Keith, uh, thank you so much for the time. Um, good luck on your road trip. It's a good Rhode Island Rams team, quite obviously. Uh, but you've got people's interest perked, and, and that's the start that you're looking for. Really appreciate the time. Best of luck uh, the rest of this season and beyond. Well, we appreciate you as well. Thanks for having us. Okay, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Keith Dambrot, the head basketball coach at Duquesne. That's exactly what that was with Stan Savern. You can catch him from noon until 2 on ESPN Pittsburgh iHeartRadio, and, of course, 970 AM here in town. It's a hell of a story whenever you can get Pittsburgh fans to pay attention to you uh, because you got to be a winner, and Duquesne has not had a winner in a very long time. I think it speaks to how savvy this town is, though, that uh, there were a couple of bars we went to last night, and both of them had the game on the TV. Uh, which means that people are paying attention. If Duquesne keeps it up, if Duquesne, let's say, goes to the NIT this year, even falls short but has a winning record overall and uh, looks good in doing so, 
I think Pittsburgh will get behind this team. Coming up next, I think the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is stupid. I think Hall of Fames in general are losing their importance in modern times. John Parado, longtime baseball writer here in town and nationally, will join me coming up next. And, oh, yeah, there's this deadspin story that we've been talking about all day. That and more with John Parado. It's the Crowley Show. On the Deadspin article coming out against DKPittsburghSports.com. If what is being reported is true about the threesome and about what went down with Sarah Sivian, then that is abhorrent behavior and Dayon should get the bleep out of his own sight. But from a journalistic standpoint, there's nothing there that's able to be proved. There's nothing there that's concrete. And as much as the people who hate Dayon were looking for this to be able to knock him on his ass, I don't know if this does that. It doesn't for me. Again, I've heard a lot of awful things about the guy, and because of that, I don't want to associate with him, and because of that... I don't particularly think I like the guy. But, again, from a journalistic standpoint, if this was not dead spin, I don't think any other credible site would have written about it. Moving on. Speaking about morality and ethics, the Baseball Hall of Fame likes to shove those things down our throat. John Parado, one of the good baseball writers who's been around Pittsburgh for a long time, joins me now on the show. John, thank you so much for taking the time. Good. Uh, thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. I, I, unfortunately, I can't give you any expert advice on threesomes, so I guess we'll have to talk baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me there with the curveball, John, uh, because uh, I, I... I couldn't resist that little uh, bombshell that dropped today. Holy cow. But, I know. Like what... said, there's no smoking gun, so I don't know. Well, okay, let's, so so since you brought it up, I, that's the way I viewed it. I viewed it from a journalistic standpoint because, again, yeah. if, it, if it went down the way that it's being reported that it went down, then, yeah, that's awful. But if you have somebody say it and then the only proof that they have is hearsay because there's somebody in the car when she received the text message, man, I don't think a credible news outlet goes to print with that. I just don't. No, I – yeah, I uh, – you know, there have been rumblings – for the last week or so that there are going to be all these bombshells dropping in the dead spin story about, you know, the DK site. And, you know, I mean, there were some bombshells, but I, I don't know if, if there were actually, uh, if the bombs actually went off because like you said, from a journalistic standpoint, it's hearsay. And, you know, uh, I mean, there's no hard proof. Uh, I mean, there's no, you know, these purported test messages have disappeared. So, I mean, how do you prove it's, it's, it's you know, it's hearsay is really what it is. And again, I think it's deplorable if it happened, but again... No, no doubt. No no proof, and it's an interesting time that we live in, obviously, right mm. now, uh, as women are empowered, and frankly, they should be, and anybody who's crossed a woman or, or done something wrong to women should be fearful. But what I saw in this story is that we had that, and then everything else was just kind of about him being a bad boss, him being a bad guy. Yeah. And 
That, to me, is not a national story, being a bad guy. There are a lot of bad people in this world and a lot of bad people in our industry. Not that there aren't good people, but come on. <laughs> yes, there are. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've, you know, you've heard things. I've heard things. We've all heard things, and I think it's really not a secret. It's gotten out in the public realm, especially in the days of social media and what have you. But, uh, you know, again... I mean, it's it's a very interesting story, and, and things that are printed now, and I, I know I'm a fossil in a lot of ways, that, that, but uh, things that get printed now uh, tend to would never have gotten printed years ago, and uh, it seems like uh, you don't need a whole lot of evidence, you don't need a whole lot of proof, you don't need a whole lot of facts to uh, to publish something. You just kind of throw it out there and, and hope you're right. You know, that's not kind of the way I was uh, raised in the business. John Prado joining me here on the Crowley Show. Let's turn our attention now to the Baseball Hall of Fame. John, do you think the Baseball Hall of Fame means less now than it used to? Because I do, and I don't think it's because of who they've let in and who they haven't let in, the voters. I think it's just because people know who's great and who's not great because they've all got information at their fingertips, and that kind of makes the brick-and-mortar Hall of Fame mean a little bit less, I think, than it ever has before. Yeah, you know, yeah, I see your point. You definitely, you know, you can you can make that point, and I think you're right to an extent. But, but I think to the actual players, to the actual people, I, I think it still means something to stand up there at Cooperstown in late July and, and know you're enshrined and, and you know it's one of the great, you know, one of the immortals of the game. And you know, I know somebody who's had the opportunity to cover a couple of induction ceremonies over the years and also visit the hall a couple of times. It's a very very special situation a very unique place uh, this little village in the middle of nowhere in central new york and it, it really is magical uh, the whole induction weekend and and so uh, i think uh, it still means a lot to the players i think it means a lot to the fans and uh, you know it's just the unfortunate part is it used to be pretty clear cut on who voted for who and you voted for the best players and it wasn't a question well did this guy cheat or did this guy do that or or this or that or everything that was pretty much was he good enough to be in the hall of fame or wasn't he and all these external factors well it's certainly driven a lot more conversation it certainly brought a lot more publicity to the hall of fame voting it has muddled things a little and like you said uh, you know it's almost like uh, you can judge the hall of famers in your own mind even if barry bonds isn't in I think a lot of people know that he was a great player, and if you don't know he was a great player, I mean, he hit 762 home runs, regardless of if he might have been chemically aided for some of them. He hit 762 home runs, and that's the record. Have you ever seen a baseball player better than Barry Bonds, John? In my lifetime, no. No, and I mean, you know, obviously I saw him on an everyday basis for six years, my first right. six years, covering, I guess, uh, five Five years, I should say, from 88 to 92, my first five years covering baseball on uh, at the Beaver County Times. He was still with the Pirates. And, I mean, he was a tremendous player, and he could do it all even then. I mean, he had power, he had speed, and, you know, he, could, he was a good defensive player. I mean, the only thing he really ever had was an arm, which, uh, unfortunately, for Bucko fans, showed at the very worst time in Game 7 of the 92 LCS. But, I mean, he was a great player, and, you know, regardless of what he did, and, I mean, there's no hard and fast proof that he used steroids. There's certainly a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, that he did after he went uh, to San Francisco and he got later in his career. But but to me, he was a Hall, Hall of Fame player before there were the suspicions he was using steroids. And, and, and the only the part that, that kind of baffles me is he, he did it more out of, uh, I don't want to say out of envy, because he, he kind of got uh, disenchanted with the fact that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa 
have both balked up and we're, we're hitting home runs and getting all the attention. And, and, you know, here he was still one of the very best players in the game, and he was just uh, getting totally overlooked. And uh, I know that really bothered him. John Prado joining me here on the Crowley Show. Uh, John, I heard this question asked earlier on in the day, and uh, I figure I'll ask you because you're smarter than I am and you've watched a lot more baseball than I have uh, in your life. But that's just because you're old, John. That's what I'm saying here. I am. I I admit it. I am. But I'm not crotty (laughs) yet. Uh, Would you rather be a guy who's in the Hall of Fame or would you rather be somebody who's known as maybe the greatest player that somebody's ever seen? Ooh, wow. That's, the, that's yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. That's yeah, that was my I, first I, thought too. I, you know, I, I, I've talked to Barry about this. I, I mean, I have. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't see him that often anymore, obviously, since he hasn't played. But you know, I saw him last year when he was uh, to the year he spent coaching the Marlins, and might have two years ago now in 2016. And uh, he claims that he's okay if he doesn't get in, but I think he's kidding because I could tell that his uh, tone of voice be live what he was saying. I, I think everybody, and I think when you get older, I, I think, you know, everybody wants to know what their legacy is to one extent or another. Whether you're a famous person or just a, a normal run-of-the-mill person, or, you know, somebody that's not famous. And, and I'm sure you know him and Roger Clemens both, and I know Clemens uh, hasn't said much on the subject, but I'm sure deep down they, they have to feel, hey, you know, we put up great numbers. We put up some of the best numbers in the history of baseball. We were the dominant players, you know, dominant players of our era. And uh, you know why? Why not? You know why won't we get that kind of recognition? And uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, I would want to be in the Hall of Fame, to be honest, because the plaque lives forever and uh, people's memories fade after a while. John Prado joining me here on the Crowley Show. As for steroid users. <sighs> I find it hard to parse uh, one guy who played in the era from other guys who played in the era. Uh, Craig Biggio had never been linked to steroids at all, and he wasn't the kind of player that you thought, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy's hitting some doubles and some singles. That guy's a steroid user. But there's no proof, as you alluded to before, that points to Barry Bonds having been a steroid user. There's certainly some smoke, but there's no proof. How do you think that uh, – how do you think that – that should be handled. How would you handle it in your mind? Well, this is how I handle it, and this is how I've done it the whole time. You know, we, we first off, to try to make this as short as possible, and it's a bit of a complicated answer. Give me, give it all baseball, to me, John. Okay. We, we <laughs> as the baseball writers uh, ask the Hall of Fame in advance of knowing that some of these players were on the verge of coming onto the ballot. Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, Palmero. How do you want us to handle this? How do you how do you look at this? I mean, obviously there's there's the paint next, you know, their names are painted to one degree or another, and it was like they, and, and we got no answer. It was like, well, you guys figure it out. That's why we have you vote. So so everybody interpreted different. For example, Rob Beer Temple from the Tribune Review, he won't vote for anybody who has any connection to steroids, whether they want the test or just been uh, linked to them in some way or another, and that's fine. I mean, that's his opinion, and sure. I certainly respect that. My opinion is I'm not playing moralist here. I don't know who did and who didn't. I'm sure some guys who have been voted into the Hall of Fame used and didn't get caught. I just think that it's just, it, it, it has to be that way. I honestly believe now when Ken Caminetti came out and 
Sports Illustrated about 10, 12 years ago and told Tom Pervici that at one point he thought 75% of guys were using some kind of PEDs. I really believe now in retrospect that he was right on the money. And if I would have known then what I know now, I certainly would have believed it. And, you know, I think back on certain players and how they came to spring training 25 pounds heavier than what they were the year before because of these vitamins or workouts regimens and things like that. It wasn't bad. It was obviously PEDs, but at the time we didn't know that much about it. And you know, and I know the writers say, well you hear it, you know, you guys knew that people were doing stuff and you didn't write about it. Well two 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 things to that. One, we didn't know that much about PEDs at that point. And two, there's such there's such laws of slander and libel when you just can't write, hey, I think somebody broke the rules unless you got cold hard proof. And all my years of covering baseball I never saw anybody shoot up steroids and in front of a reporter. So, you know, my theory is I don't know who did and who didn't with any degree of certainty. So I, I just judge everybody by what they did, their, their record, what they did as a player, their accomplishments, and, and that's how I go with it. Last thing here for you, John, and it's kind of uh, off the beaten path a little bit, so bear with me here. And uh, if you don't know, then that's okay. But one of the things I'm going to get to later on in the show is – that the NBA now wants 1% of all the money that's bet on games in their sport. Uh, and that's gonna, uh, that would obviously be a huge number. What's your thought process on professional sports leagues getting involved in the gambling side of things? Uh, that's a tricky question. I, I understand they want their cut because process. Most sports teams want anything. They want every imaginable revenue stream in the world. It never seems like they never can make enough money. But I understand that they want a cut of it. But to me, it kind of seems a little unseemly that they are want to be part of the gambling thing. And it, it makes you almost think maybe that it would open the door to some kind of malfeasance or a possibility right. of, you know, maybe – game fixing, things like that. If a and lot in of the NBA, I mean, that's all. Another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, we've seen with, uh, you know, with Jim Donahue, the, the referee who, uh, you know, found the founder of the shape, help shape points in games. It can happen. It's a little harder to do in the other sports. The basketball is very easy to, to, to fix a game without it being very obvious. John, really appreciate the time, as always, man. Covered, covered a lot there, did we not? We I, did. I think it from threesomes to gambling to Hall of Fame, and my goodness. I know. Yeah, threesomes and gambling, baby. Well, yeah. so one last thing then on that, John. Uh, I saw your tweet that Pittsburgh's 25th biggest media market in the country, yet th- there's so much that goes on that, that winds up out in the public. Uh, have you ever seen anything like this? It's insane. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I mean, I'm not putting down Pittsburgh or, or downplaying it, but I mean, it's not New York. It's, it's less drama in New York and Chicago and big, big markets, LA, and uh, you know, it's 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 sort of what, the charm of where we live, Adam. Everything is so parochial, and everything is so big city, but yet small town. And it's, it's kind of a microcosm of where we live, and the reason, in some odd way, we all love it. <laughs> I think that that's the perfect summation. Appreciate the time as always, John. Be well. Oh, my pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me, buddy. We got a lot of ground to cover coming up in the next segment as we'll have the hottest take of the day, other crap, and Tom's terrible betting degenerate pick of the day. Also, we've got some injury news to get to as it relates to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we don't have a lot of time. We'll get to all that next. It's the Crowley Show.
wrap it up here at the Terrace on Fit. $3.50 for a draft, a Bud Light. $4 aluminum pints. The game starts in about 20 minutes. The Penguins are playing the Wild, so that means Matt Cullen's going to be around. Some of the media feel comfortable calling him Dad. I don't. I have one father. Mark Crowley is my father, and I will refer to him as Dad. And nobody else! Although, with my father-in-law, I don't necessarily know what to call him. I've called him Ray. I've snuck in a dad once or twice. I don't even think he's noticed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Usually, it's one of those, like, hey, kind of things. Hey, you. It's still weird to me. But that's neither here nor there. The Penguins do have some injury news that needs to be reported tonight. Jamie Lechiak going to be playing. Olimata, Justin Schultz, Brian Dumoulin. Chris Letang, but Matt Hunwick is going to track out of the lineup and playing in his place will be Ian Cole, who I think is the better player anyhow, but unfortunately for Brett Hunwick, earlier on in the day in practice, he took a puck to the face, and well, that's why he's not playing. Perhaps some concussion-type symptoms there. It is now time for the hottest take of the day. Ready, Joe? It's time for the hottest take of the day. I don't know if that'll ever make me not laugh. Everyone's excited about the XFL's return. It's not happening until 2020, but everyone wants to talk about the XFL in general. A lot of people have been talking about the NBA trying to get in on the betting action. They want to make money off of gambling. They would like 1% of all the money that's put in for bets to go into their pocket. Both of these things lead me to believe that these smart businessmen, these commissioners for these sports, Jim McMahon and Adam Silver, think that the NFL's bleeding. The NFL's failing. The NFL's taking a step backwards. A couple of years ago, Mark Cuban said the NBA's going to catch the NFL. Basketball's as popular as it's ever been. And that's insane given that only a handful of teams have been dominating the sport for a fairly long period of time here. People are sick of the NFL, and people want to politicize it. Some want to make it about the Kaepernick and the kneeling and things of that nature. The reality is the product isn't as good, and the quarterbacks aren't as great as they used to be. Now, the good ones are still very good, but there are not the same number of good quarterbacks as there were probably a handful of years ago, at least in my opinion. No one knows where the catch is. The celebration stuff gets on some people's nerves, I suppose. So the XFL is going to try to turn everything on its head, and the XFL is going to try to be the anti-NFL. They believe that there is an opportunity here. The NBA thinks that the NFL is as popular as it is because of gambling and they want to have their footprint in the gambling game. This, to me, just shows that those two leagues think that the NFL is in a decline. That's the hottest take of the day, baby. I got it. That was the hottest take of the day. Day, day, day. God, we got to give our production people a raise. Now it's time for other crap. Woo! Other crap. <laughs> Pitt lost what was maybe their best chance to win an ACC game yesterday. And that's a bummer. Because Pitt had a lead. 
A big lead at home. And today they've unveiled their newest throwback uniforms, which are white with the script, which look badass. And they could have built some momentum, but instead they pitted it. They blew the lead. They lost to an okay NC State team. They might have blown their best chance. That was other crap. Woo! Other crap. Now it's time for Tom's Degenerate Gambling Pick of the Day. Tom, how'd you do yesterday, buddy? We lost again. So you're 0-2. Hot start out of the gates, 0-2. But going to get my first one tonight. And to do that, I'm going to fall on a team that, you know, I really trust. And uh, university as a whole that you can feel really safe with. And that's why I'm taking the Penn State Nittany Lions. Oh. Plus nine. Was that a joke? A little bit, yeah. Okay, you're taking a dig there. Uh, Who are they playing? The Ohio State University. Oh, man. In Columbus. Oh, man. That's you got to trust the process. It's a big spread. Yeah, that's it. Penn State. Lock it up. Ohio State's been a lot better than people expected. They've played good basketball, but they've been beating teams close. This is the first one I'll agree with you on. The last You're two, taking Penn State, too? I'm taking Penn State, wow. too. Let's get after this, buddy. I love Let's it. Let's get after it. I love it. it. But by the way, I'm 2-0 and in your own, too. That's fine. Yeah, because I am just I just take everything the opposite until I don't want to. So today I'll go with Penn State, and I'm about to go 3-0. and You're about to go 1-2. and I'll take it. Bam! That's okay. We're making money for the peeps, man. Or losing it, but either way. We need sexy production and music for Tom's Degenerate Gambling Pick of the Day. We need to make that happen. So, hopefully for tomorrow. No? No, nah, we don't need it? We don't need it? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're just a better guy. You like raw dogging it, right? You just let it dry. Yeah, you know? Yeah, just go in there. Yeah, yeah you don't need, you I don't don't need, need to. Do that. I don't need to church it up. No, absolutely not. Tomorrow on the show, for the last time, Andy Slack not going to be with us anymore. 